speak this morning on how about them gifts? Wasn't that something? Everybody got gifts, gifts, gifts. Well, that's great. How about those gifts? Turn with me to Matthew, the second chapter. While you're turning, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, bless your word this morning. Help us to be what we need to be as your people. Inspire us to reach greater heights and to be more appreciative for the gifts that we do receive. Father, we think back to that first Christmas and the, the gifts that your son received. We ask, Lord, that you'd just uh, help us to understand why it was put into the word, what it means in the word, and how we can use it in our lives. Just bless in every way, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. All right, how about those gifts? Matthew 2, 11. I just want to read one verse, and of course I'll fill in the context around it so we don't lose everybody. I just want to read this. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. And he must have tripped over the doormat. Uh, they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you notice that I knew because I knew what I had studied and prepared. Bonnie asked me, was I ready? Because with Christmas following in there, and of course Christmas Eve and all the traveling and all the things, she said, are you going to be ready for Sunday morning? I said, I'm half ready. And this was two or three days ago, she asked me. I said, I'm half ready now. And I'll finish it up before um, we get to Sunday morning. But I knew what I was going to speak on. And did you know this morning that we sang two songs? We sang the opening song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and the, the trio sang a song. And in both of those songs, it brought out the fact that there were gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh in both of those songs. And they had no idea what I was going to speak on this morning until I told them. Amen. So uh, it's important. Well, according to this text, we need to understand what's going on when these gifts were given. Of course, it says in the, the scripture, here we go again, when they, we never can find out who they is. You know, I always hear they said, or they did, or they went, and, and I never know who they is. But in this case, the they, the them, the there, down through the beginning of this chapter, we know who it is. Of course, that is a pronoun that is preceded by the noun that it's representing. In this case, uh, according to verse number one, uh, it were the wise men that came from the east to Jerusalem. That's the they in verse 11. They, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. Now notice here um, that we're talking about these wise men and... Uh, uh, I guess kind of question how really wise they were. They were lost for an awful long time. But you know, that's how we guys are. We never stop and ask for directions. So, but anyway, they got to Jerusalem and they were only about 90 miles off the course of where they were supposed to be. So they finally broke down and asked for directions. And of course, we find as, as we read the scriptures there, that uh, they were directed where to go by Herod, and of course he sent them the wrong way. Doesn't that aggravate you? Some, you ask somebody for directions and they get you lost. 
When it first came out, in, when I was a in-home service repairman for Sears, I, they would send me on a route, and my computer gave me the GPS how to get there. Invariably, if it was somewhere close to downtown Dayton, it would send me on a street that was either blocked or one-way street trying to tell me how to go down the wrong way down that street. And so when I got close to where I was supposed to be, I turned that thing off for it got me a ticket somewhere doing something dumb I shouldn't have been doing. And I had to find my way in without the GPS. Well, I'm thankful for GPS, but sometimes it'll get you in the wrong predicament. But here... The scripture says, and when they came into the house, did you notice the word house? Huh. Wonder why it didn't say when they came to the stable or the manger or even the inn where there was no room. It says they came to the house. Well, that for the most part for a lot of people is overlooked because they all put up the manger scenes in their yard with the wise men leaning in and handing the gifts into a little baby in a little trough filled with hay or straw. Well, there in this house, they not only found, the scripture says, a young child. Now, I realize that it wasn't, if you want to call a baby, but when I describe something as a young child, by the time they're a child, they're usually up and running around and ripping and tearing. Amen. Now, we've got to witness, Bonnie and I have got to witness Valor being coming up because we babysitted for him quite a lot over the last, well, he'll be three next month. In the last three years, we've got to see a, quite a difference in him. Man, he's smart. He's smarter than I am, I think, sometimes. He got a 20 pack had 20 little hot wheels in it and all the 20 little cars in that are from the movie cars okay now i never seen the movie don't know anything about it and every one of them he picked up looked at it and named it and got every one of them right he knew the names of all 20 of those cars from watching the movie cars and all of them were Tomater and all those. He knew them all and named them, and he was right. That's pretty cool. And he's not even three yet, not till next month. But I know the difference between a baby and a young child. Amen. The scripture here talks about a young child. Never mentions a baby at this particular point when he's in the house. Now, I, I would have to say a baby is a young child, but when we talk about or describe that person, if it's a baby, you're probably thinking of somebody that's in a sleeper or something that has to be carried around to get from A to B, rather than say, come on now, and they take off running as fast as they can between A and B. A young child is a little bit different, and usually we can see that growth in them. Then we... Think about, if you want, would, at this point in the scripture, how old was this young child in this particular situation when these fellows came to the house? Well, in verse 16, Herod gives us kind of an insight to what was going on. 
We knew he couldn't have been much more than two because Herod wanted to kill all the babies based on when the wise men saw the star and re reported to Herod until they went their own way and went back home and Herod knew that they had jerked him around and wasn't going to tell him about this boy or this child that was born king of the Jews. So Herod gives us a clue in verse 16 and from two years old and under, he put out that they should all be slain. That's pretty hard-hearted, isn't it? That's pretty cold. And that the history tells us that one of them that was slain was his own grandson because he was so afraid that he would grow up and be king of the Jews and Herod thought he was king of the Jews. Well, he was in a physical sense, but he wasn't in a spiritual sense. Amen? So somewhere, and I was reading in uh, my study books, I looked it up in uh, Halley's handbook, and Halley said that they thought that this child was somewhere between 40 days old and two years old based on what he could read of the scripture. Now, I don't know, 40 days, I don't know whether that's a young child yet or not. That may still be a baby in most people's minds, but I'm not going to argue with it anywhere uh, along those lines, but we know this is not a baby that has to be carried around or uh, burped or bottle fed or whatever. And we also can note that this young child was with his mother, Mary, the scripture says. Amen. So now a child would still, even though they're maybe close to two years old, still going to need some adult supervision. You just can't turn a two-year-old loose and say, I'll be back in about 10 hours. You watch the place till I get back. Right? That wouldn't work. Okay? So here we find the child with Mother Mary. And she's probably um, kind of still teaching him the, the things that he needs to know. But, the, but nonetheless, whatever his age was, he was still under Mother Mary's care when these guys showed up at the house. Now to me, it's important that both the child and his mother are the ones that the wise men met at the house. There's no mention of Joseph, no mention of any other brothers or sisters, no mention of anybody else there except the wise men. We don't even know how many it was. Um, we're commonly referred to as the three wise men, but it doesn't say three anywhere. And it, as far as they came, the only reason we draw three is because of the three gifts that they brought. You know, even the Halley's Handbook thought it was probably somewhere between 25 and 100 people of these wise men that traveled to uh, see this child that they was following its star. Well, my opinion based on what I've seen in the scripture is that Mary and the child are the only two persons that were aware of God's will for this child's life. I don't read anywhere in the scripture where Mary shared with anyone of her conception of her meeting with the angel, anything she did, there's nothing where it's quoted, Mary said this to, not even to Joseph. 
Actually, in Matthew, the, the first chapter, you'll find that Mary evidently noticed uh, a little bit of change in Mary's physique and kind of put two and two together, if you would, and found her to be with child. Now, I don't know if he ever confronted her about it or not, but he was getting ready to put her away. It says in the scripture, when in a dream an angel came to him and said, you got it all wrong, Job. That child she's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is a special child for God. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife and, of course, uh, raise this child. Amen. But in the scripture itself, I never read anywhere where she said anything to anybody about how she became pregnant. Of course, being pregnant out of wedlock was an absolute curse in their culture, or at least an embarrassment. So uh, she wouldn't want that word getting out. So when we find these things and see her maybe start to show and swell and get bigger and bigger, it's pretty, you can only hide a pregnancy so long. Amen? And pretty soon, everybody's going to know about it. But here she comes, and when, excuse me, when the wise men showed up, what'd they do? They fell down, the scripture says, and worshipped him. Not her, him. Amen. They didn't worship Mary. Nowhere in the scriptures are we um, told that we need to give special homage or anything to Mary because she's the mother of uh, Christ. So here we find they worship him, not her, and God's plan and his will took on more meaning in Mary's mind, I would think, at that point when they said, we've come to worship the one that's born king of the Jews. Amen? Amen. She didn't stand up and say, hey, either give me some of that stuff or you're out of the house. You know, I want some of that gold or you're gone. No, nope. that didn't happen. I would say that her understanding of all these things that she went through from the time of conception until this moment this all begins to help her think about what a special child she was given to take care of. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't read anywhere where she treated him any more special, if you would, than any of his brothers or sisters. And in fact, actually, we talked about it in the hallway back there over cookies and coffee, that um, we don't know much about the life of Christ from 12 years old well, we don't know much about him from 2 years old to 12 years old, and then we don't know much about him from 12 years old to 30 years old. The, the scriptures are kind of silent about that, and it would have been nice, you would have thought, I keep a journal. How many of you got a journal? Anybody else? Am I the only idiot that does it? Okay. Uh, but I kept a journal. Ever since I've been senior pastor, I have a big, what do they call them, wound up springs and a notebook, Spiral notebook. Okay. I've got about four of them that are full. And every day I date it, and I write down what I did that day. Just a quick caption. So if you want to know what I did on April the 3rd in 2017, I can turn right to it and tell you. Amen. Not that it's important. Not that nobody cares. I just decided to do that when I became senior pastor. 
two reasons. One, gives me a little bit of discipline and gives me some accountability as to what I did for the Lord that day. Number one. Number two, in case I ever get audited, I have a record of any, all the trips I've taken and the mileage I've covered so that if I ever get audited on how much money uh, they gave me back in mileage, I could prove it with my log. Well, I thought every kid had a diary. I guess not anymore. They used to hide it under their pillow or under their mattress or something and write down all their secrets. They didn't want anybody to know. But while they were at school, their moms and dads read them anyway. So I guess they learned not to, not to bother with it. But wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus would have had a diary? Huh? We could have took hours and just meditated on what him and God did each day. Well, what they, uh, oh, that'd been pretty cool. Well, because there is no record of that, we're left, if you would, to kind of read between the lines as to what kind of child and how it all worked out in his life. Amen. And if this visit from the wise men didn't open her eyes to the role she had to play in Jesus' life, the worship of him should have done it. She probably understood, I'm, I'm in charge of this child. But from two years old, from birth to two years old, there wasn't very many people stopped her in her tracks other than we know Simeon in the temple and Anna in the temple, uh, a widow. Those two are the only ones we have recorded that even noticed God's son when he was there to be named and to be circumcised. Isn't that something? Two people. Now we've got a slew full, we don't know how many, come and they fall down and worship him. Amen. They knew what they were doing. Amen. And if you notice in that scripture, it says they came and worshiped him. And after the word him, one of those colons, what does that mean? And add to that in their worship, when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, and I want to talk about those gifts just a little bit. So as they worshiped, they added to that the treasures and presented gifts to him. Now, I'm seriously doubting if this is his first birthday or this is even a birthday or even a special day. If it, if it fell on any kind of special day, it probably was a coincidence because those guys been traveling a long way, a long time, went the wrong way, got wrong directions, and so by the time they got there, if it had been planned to be a birthday or a special day of some kind, they would have missed it probably by a year or better. Who knows? So I doubt it had anything to do with what you might say a special day like a birthday. Amen. Because those guys were carrying those presents for quite a while. Surely they would have got there on time if they wanted to be there for his birthday. Amen. So the only thing we can really know about these gifts is that they were sacrifices of worship to the king of the Jews, the one born king of the Jews. That's what they said in verse 2 that they were coming to do. 
So let's look now at these gifts of worship fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All three of these were still, would be, and are still considered expensive gifts. But not for a baby, or not even for a child. You can say what you want. I watched children yesterday open one gift after another for probably an hour or so. And as soon as they got the wrapping paper off of one, they couldn't wait to get their hands on the next one. Amen. And then finally, after they got them all open, then they took a few minutes to reminisce, I guess you'd say, and go back and look over the treasure that they had been given and decided to pick out the ones they wanted. Usually it was the noisiest one or the one that antagonized the parents the most. Amen? So I don't know how expensive, if you want to say, these gifts are, but they were probably way too expensive a gift to give to a baby. Amen. I don't know too many people that would go to a child that's two years old and buy him a new Corvette Stingray. That would be out of the realm of possibility of something that he, well, if he was 16th birthday and you want to do that and ruin his life, I guess you can do that. But uh, for the most part, we think of expenses and gifts and different things. We do it to help people, not slow them down or hinder them. Well, let's think about it. What is gold? Well, gold in the, I guess you could say it's money. In some ways, so, so to speak, it, it could have been melted down by a goldsmith and made into jewelry. And as we talk about gold from the first century, gold was all around them. Did you know that? Every time they went to the temple, you know what they saw? Gold, 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 gold. Because when Solomon built the temple, and I realize it got tore down, but it got rebuilt, and it probably was built back to the original uh, blueprints, everything in it. Uh, in there's a lot of things that were gold, actual gold. You know there's golden candlesticks in there. Did you know there was gold overlaid gold on a lot of the things in the temple? There was a whole lot of things in that day and time that had gold about them. Amen? So when we talk about those things, we see the value in them. Now I also want you to understand that when God gives us a representation of something like this, it's not just for that time, if you would, a period, but sometimes God gives us things that spiritually can relate to us today. Any of you got a golden candlestick at your house? Well, I can tell you if it was pure gold, it'd be worth a fortune. Amen? But what you may have is something that looks like a candlestick that's spray-painted gold, uh, but it's not real gold. Amen? So when we think about those things, um, that's the way the temple was. A lot of the things were overlaid with gold. When we think about the golden candlesticks that were in the temple, that takes on a new meaning when we get into the Revelation. He talks about the golden candlesticks. You know what that is? 
That's the church. Did you know that? Yep, that's what it is. Of course, I could probably preach on a lot of these things and for hours and hours, but then you'd be late for lunch and you wouldn't, your cookies would far more have worn off and you'd be hungry again. But those things, that golden candlestick, the Word says if you don't obey God, He could take the candlestick away from you. <gasps> Did you know that? That's what the Word of God says. Amen. So we need to understand those things. And those things that were not only made of gold or those things overlaid with gold, they did that for two reasons. To give them value and to make them beautiful. They were pretty to look at and everybody knew that they were valuable. Amen. Amen. We think when Nebuchadnezzar went into the temple and destroyed it, what did he steal? He took all the gold and silver out of the temple and took it back to his place, all the cups and all that. And that's got, what got Belshazzar in trouble with God when he saw the handwriting on the wall. Meany, meany, tackle you, Pharisee. Uh-huh, you've been weighed in the balance of that. Why? Because he wanted to drink the wine out of those golden vessels that had been stolen out of the temple in Jerusalem. That's what got him in trouble. Huh, how about that stuff? Well, if you think about it, we use gold to add value to about anything. All right? How many of you know what the golden rule is? Huh? You know what I'd think? If you just live by the golden rule, man, wouldn't a lot of the people we know be farther off down the road if they just obeyed the golden rule? It has value. It needs something, and I know the Bible doesn't call it that. That's a name we put on it, but we know that that's exactly what it means. That's a rule. If you follow it, it'll add value and beauty to your life. Huh. How about that stuff? Well, then we get to frankincense. Any of you got any? Anybody bring any frankincense with them? Anybody got a jar of it at home? I don't know how it comes in jars or bottles or how. You got a little bit? Well, hang on to it. Is it expensive? Oh, I know who's rich now. All right. All right, but it's an herb. It's the way I understand it. Of course, I studied it out, and I don't have any, so I'm just going by what I read. And it was burnt to make the air around smell good. Amen. Did you know that? And Bonnie uses candles. We can't afford frankincense, so we just burn candles. So... But that's what it does. It makes things smell good. Now, think about the temple. What was going on in that temple with all the slaughter of those animals and the blood poured out and the animals' body parts thrown in fire and burnt. What do you think the odor in that place was like? You ever been to a slaughterhouse? I have. I've been there three times this year. Pick up my deer meat. Amen. It's not a pleasant smelling place. Amen. So in the temple, rather than have something that everybody would walk through and say, man, this is a mess, they burned incense, frankincense. And that covered all the smell, if you would, of the slaughterhouse. I, I'm just going to say it point blank. Amen. Uh, and there's even times that uh, I don't want to go too frank on you, but people burn that kind of stuff in the bathroom when they're finished in there. Oh, well, you know what I'm talking about. 
That's what frankincense was for. It's to give off an aroma. Amen? And of course, uh, uh, there's a spiritual side to that too. And I'll, I'll probably touch on that before we get out of here. And then we've got the third gift of myrrh. Anybody got any myrrh? No myrrh? Well, I don't have any either. But myrrh, according to what I've studied, comes from a gum, G-U-M, of a plant. And you can get it, and when you get that gum off the plant, I'm th thinking in the way I studied, it's kind of like, you know how we make maple syrup? You tap into a maple tree, and that syrup comes out, and that's what you boil and make your pancake syrup or your waffle syrup that you call maple syrup that's really sweet. Of course, you probably add sugar to it and other things to make it syrup, but that same process is what I think myrrh goes through as far as I've studied uh, on myrrh. And if you want to take the time to study it and find out I'm wrong and straighten me out, let me know. But from that myrrh, they get an oil. And that oil is a lot of the oil that the priest used for anointing oil. So when you were anointed as king, or when you was anointed for healing, when you were anointed, the myrrh in that oil is what's supposed to have the value or the healing, if you would, portion that God was using when he did it. Now, I understand. You've got to understand something. When I put oil on you and pray for you, the oil's not that important. And I, my prayer, it's just a lot of rattling, and God does hear it. But if there's any healing, really, the prayer or the oil really played very little role in that healing. God's the one that heals. But now, he gave us instructions about how to use those things. Because God is a spirit, and we don't understand spiritual things. Because we can't see them. We can't taste them, we can't touch them, we can't nothing. They're spiritual. But he gave us, if you would, physical things that relate to spiritual things. So, oh, now I get it. Now I understand what God is wanting to do. Amen? So this uh, myrrh was very important in the anointing uh, oil that they used to anoint kings or to do anything else with it. Look with me real quick. In Mark 15, verse 23, this is when Jesus was on the cross. Let's see what happened there. Mark 15, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong one here. Do you do Mark? I was in Matthew. It's the other one. First Mark, right? One Mark 15, 23. And it says when he was on the cross, and they bring him to the place called Golgotha, which is, that's 22, being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. But he received it not. What was that for? That was for his healing. Did he need healing? Anybody see how, what they did or hear about what they did to Jesus before they hung him on a cross? 
Well, he sure needed some healing, I can tell you that, because they ripped his body to pieces with whips and beating and slashing and slapping and bruised up and blood flowing everywhere. Amen? So they gave him some myrrh. How about that? Huh. Wine mixed with myrrh. You know what that was? That's the only medicine they had in that day. You know that when Timothy got sick, Paul told him, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. You got an upset stomach? Try a little bit of wine. That's the only medicine you had. If that, don't go, if that didn't fix it, <laughs> you just got to live through it. That's all they had. Amen. And not everybody could even afford the myrrh mixed with the wine. Ah, but they ran into some pretty rich people at the cross. We're going to look at that because um, it was also used in John the 19th chapter when Jesus came off the cross by a guy named Nicodemus. Anybody heard of him before? Well, when Nicodemus, he went and asked if he could have the body of Christ. And in John 19, verse 39, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. He's the one, remember, he's the one that gave us the thought about being born again. Amen? In John the third chapter. Which he came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys. About a hundred pound weight. That's a lot. You know what it was used for? Embalming. Jesus was dead. It, you read it, you can go on down, verse 40 there. They took spices and linens and they embalmed the body best they could because it was against the law to touch a dead body after the sun goes down. So they were in a hurry. They wrapped him up really, really fast, throwed in this myrrh and aloes and all those things and stuck him in the grave as quick as they could because they were set against sundown so that they would be unclean in the ceremony of the Passover. Amen? So myrrh had its place. It was expensive. Not everybody got to, to uh, be buried with uh, myrrh and aloes on them but because Nicodemus could afford it and he wanted to do something for Christ, that's what he did. So now we see the expectation of these wise men may have changed when they met this king in the form of a child. But they returned to their own country having met this child and his mother. Amen. Maybe even had some conversation with her. We don't know. But their worship was definitely respectful because of the gifts that they gave in sacrifice. And Mary was probably very instrumental uh, or uh, may have been inspired by a lot of the things that they did there. But these wise men may have even been instrumental in leading the gospel toward the country they came from. When they went back home, they had a tale to tell all the folks in the country they came from about the king they had met and the gifts that they had given him. Amen. So when it came time for the gospel to spread to that country, the seed was already planted. God, he works in crazy ways sometimes. 
we call them mysterious ways, but, but I just know it's God's way. And God may have been just nothing more than preparing the people in the country they came from for decades later for the gospel to take root in that country. Hey, as anyone studies the word of God, it won't be long until you start to see the works of God take on a pattern. For example, we talk about 40 days. How many times in the scripture can you see where God took 40 days to do something? How long did it rain for Noah? How long did Jesus fast in the wilderness? Huh. Well, that all starts to take place when you start putting those numbers to a reality and try to understand the pattern that God's trying to work in the people of God. How many years was Moses and the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness before they came to the promised land? Amen. All those things are to help a physically minded people understand spiritual applications. Amen? I thought it would, uh, uh, I thought what uh, would I represent to us in our walk of salvation spiritually today if we looked at the things that God did in Old Testament times or even in the life of Christ or through the life of Christ that set a pattern that we still walk by today. Did you know that? Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Ah, because that's the way they did it. And when Jesus built the church in the book of Acts, they met on the first day of the week. Amen? They came together. And of course, they came together for a lot of reasons. Eat bread or, or whatever. But the things they did, and they set it up where the Christian church was to meet on the first day. Well, we just carry on the tradition. Amen? We still have traditions today that aren't even biblical. But they're good. Nowhere in the Bible it says you're supposed to have Sunday school. Hmm. But we do. Why? Because we found it to be beneficial to grooming or teaching or being the learner or the disciple of Christ we need to be. Amen? So if we follow those things and walk in our salvation spiritually today, we're going to see great things happen in our lives. So when I think of the three gifts that were presented to this child in worship, I understand they have spiritual applications in our lives today. Amen. What gifts in worship has God given us to make our relationship with him take on a more significant meaning. What gifts did God give you? Well, I got three for you I want to talk about. In John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God gave His only begotten Son. Amen. Why? He loves you. Amen. So you get the Son. That's the first gift God gave to mankind. Amen. If that's not a gift worth it's weight in gold. I don't know what is. Jesus Christ himself. That son paid our debt of sin. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, 
which is God. He paid the price. That price is worth more than gold. There is no amount of money you could come up with to buy salvation, and yet Christ, as a gift, gives it to you free of charge, if you would. Amen. As valuable as gold is, there's no way in the world you can come up with enough of it, accumulate enough of it, to buy a way out of your sin that you committed before God. But through faith in Jesus Christ and by His grace, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, and they're buried in the depths of the sea. Amen. That's pretty far, isn't it? Amen. The gift is so valuable that in the revelation we see, spiritually speaking, that to walk with God, it's like walking on streets of gold. Amen. Now, I know there's a lot of preachers who will tell you when you get to heaven, the streets are going to be streets of gold. Amen. Well, gold is a physical something. Metal, whatever you want to call it. But there is no such thing as gold that's spiritual. Amen. But he tells us there, we think that he says we're going to walk on streets of gold in heaven. We think that's heaven where God lives. That's not what the revelation means. Revelation means when you get saved in the church, you become part of this heaven on earth that he talks about. Walking with Christ is like walking on streets of gold. Amen. We can walk on streets of gold today spiritually because there's probably not enough gold in the world to put it together to even cover Church Street, let alone all the streets that everybody wants to walk on. Amen. Then we get to 1 Peter 1 and 18. We'll get there. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, that's nothing compared to the price that Christ paid. Amen. From your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, or without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. That's what Paul said. The blood of Christ is like a lamb without spot or blemish. In the Old Testament what they use that for? A lamb without spot and blemish? It was sacrifice. They cut its throat, butchered it up, burned it on the altar, used that blood to cover your sins for one year because they had to do it again the next year. But that's not the way it is with Christ. His blood cleanses us once and forever. Amen? So Christ in our lives is more precious than silver or gold, Paul says. And these corruptible things compared to the gift that God gives us don't hold any kind of value compared to what Christ can do for us. Amen? Saints, I could go on and on for hours about how precious God's Son is to us in being our Redeemer back to God. But we just have to accept it 
He was a precious gift. The second one, after gold, was frankincense. It's a perfume. It changed the smell of the atmosphere around whoever was burning it. Well, this is a spiritual representation, again, of the prayers of the saints. Let me read to you. Revelation 5. Do you know that frankincense is like prayers going up to God? Revelation 5 and 8. And when he had taken the book, that's the book that had the seals on it, he opened the book, released the seals, turned it loose, and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, that's the redeemed. You can read that down in uh, verse number 9. It tells you that. And they fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. You know what? God gave you a gift, the gift of prayer. Amen. That equates to the frankincense that the wise men fell before Jesus to give him. Amen. Let me read it again in Revelation 8, just so you don't lose track. Revelation 8, let me read to you verse 3 and 4. Another came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Amen. This is spiritual speaking, but I want you to see the privilege or the gift that God gives you, if you would, as number two, is the, the gift to be able to pray and ask God what you need. So you and the second greatest gift God could give us is the privilege to pray. For example, when you're sick. The Bible says in James 5, 14 and 16, if you're sick, call on the elders. Let them pray for you. Anointing you with the oil. Amen? That's the answer that God has. Now, I told you that the prayer doesn't do it. The oil doesn't do it. God is the healer. But he give us a recipe to follow, and when we apply it, even though we're applying that spiritually, our spirit is applying it spiritually. And we're touching the heart of God and asking for the healing that we need in that situation. When you need help, pray. When you need encouragement, pray. When you're in temptation, pray, pray, pray. That's the best gift God can give you in those situations when you're going through those problems of life. That brings us to the third one. What is it? Myrrh. Well, it's an ingredient. It's an oil that goes into the oil of anointing. As a Christian, what anointing do you need? Well, the anointing we should look to is the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our life. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff about that if you want it, but uh, 
clock's ticking. Amen. This may be, if you would, the most used gift of the three that we uh, can look to and say God gave us these three gifts. The Holy Spirit in our lives, along with God's Word, the Bible, are the only two witnesses we have that connect us to our spiritual Heavenly Father. Amen. Point blank. Look with me in John, 1 John this time. Not, not regular John, 1 John. I'm teasing you, brother. I could leave in, stay in 1 John, the second chapter, and teach quite a few things that would help a lot of us along these lines. But I just want to read look at, and look at verse number 27. But the anointing which you received of him, that's of God, abideth in you. You know the Holy Spirit's supposed to live in you? Uh-huh. And you need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit, teaches you all things and is truth. It doesn't point you to the truth. It doesn't tell you about the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. Amen? And is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Amen? That's the gift of myrrh that God gives us spiritually. You know why it was important that he made this distinction here between truth and a lie? Because there was a lot of liars in the first century when John wrote this. If you go back up to verse 18, read down through here, you're going to find some liars. Let me read it to you real quick. I want to read down from 18 to 22. Little children, it's the last time. John's telling them, this is it, brothers. Ain't nothing else coming after this. Don't look for a third coming or a fourth coming. God's coming once again, and that's the end of it. It's the last time. Amen? And as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know it's the last time. See, now a lot of people think there's a, a person going to be the Antichrist, going to raise up and deceive everybody, and, and the whole world's going to follow after him, and there's going to be one church, and he's going to be the head of it. And all. No, that ain't what an Antichrist is. An Antichrist is a spirit, and it's a spirit against Christ. Anti means against. Amen. So here we have it. And they went out from us. Now, if the Antichrist is supposed to yet come, the way a lot of the preachers are preaching today, John was wrong. He said they went out from us. He's already there in the first century. The Antichrists were already there. And there's many of them. It ain't a man coming in the future that's going to take over the world and hog tie us all and make us fall down and worship him. And Oh, well, never mind. And if they had been of us, if they had been, they wouldn't have been Antichrist. Amen. They would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But now look at this. But we have an unction. You know what an unction is? That's an anointing. We have an unction 
from the Holy One. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to understand the truth about this. And you know all things. Amen. The Holy Spirit's not going to lie to you. He says, I've not written this unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is in the truth. So now let's figure out who is the liar. Who is the liar? But he that denieth that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist. Amen. Do you know anybody that don't believe that Christ is, that Jesus was the Christ? They're all around us. Guess what? Every one of them is an Antichrist. So don't look for some Antichrist coming and take over the church and run us down and, and pull us all into one big world. Well, I, you know, I know what they teach. But he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You know anybody that denies God? He's Antichrist. Amen. I preach it all the time. There's only two teams. You're either on God's team or you're not. Amen. There's only two destinations. You're either going to heaven or you're not. Amen. You're either with Christ or you're anti-Christ. Does that make sense? Amen. It's not some fantastic speaker that's going to come and twist everything and tie us all in knots. Ah, oh well. But we do have that unction or that anointing from the Holy One. Again, we could go on and on about this Holy One God has gifted us to attain. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. But our title this morning is how about those gifts? How about those gifts? Well, if we look at it spiritually, it's Jesus Christ, it's prayer, and it's the Holy Spirit. How about those gifts? Man, if we could just latch on to them, where would we be? Amen? Those three special gifts God has given us were the things that's going to turn our lives around to help us be what we should be for God. Had the wise men really had a grip on what this one born king of the Jews was worthy of, the three gifts they gave, they knew would have not really fit the situation. Amen. No doubt they could have brought even more gifts worthy of the Son of God or mightier gifts or more precious gifts however you want to say it yet when we walk with God daily in the way he's prepared for us we find ourselves coming up short on the gifts we should offer to God in the way of worship to him amen I do the best I can to live for Christ at the end of the day usually I feel like I still need to do more. There's still more I could do, more I could be for Christ. Man, he's worthy of everything we can offer him. Amen. But what does he want? He wants us to humbly walk with him and be the people and live righteously in all the points of our life that we have that he's given us to walk in. It's about being righteous before God. How about those gifts? 
Amen. Well, let's open the gifts God has for us and walk the golden streets with him and be the salvation and be the people of God he's asked us to be so that we can shine that light on others around us. Amen. You know why we walk on streets of gold? The scripture says the streets of gold, they're so shiny, if you would, in Revelation, that they're as transparent as glass. You know what that means? It's like walking on a mirror. Huh. You know what mirrors do? They reflect light. Amen. So when you walk on your street of gold with Christ, the reflection of your life walking is going to shine on other people and going to influence them. And they're going to look at you like you're from farther than Mars. They're going to look at you like you're from heaven. Amen? And you're going to say, it's all because of the gifts God's given me. He gave me Jesus Christ. I have the privilege of prayer. And now the Holy Spirit lives within me. How about those gifts? Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it.